You know that moment in The Wizard of Oz where Judy Garland looks out at her family's sepia-toned ranch and sings about how she wants to be somewhere over the rainbow? You can't not feel her desperation there, how she'd do anything for a different life. But no matter where you are in the world, there's always going to be that longing to be somewhere else. 5,000 miles away from Kansas, one very real young woman was dreaming of leaving her sleepy ranch in the backlands of Brazil. But it wasn't a tornado that came through to take her away. It was a man, someone she'd heard stories about since she was a little girl, whose name was synonymous with violence, cruelty, and justice, who most people called a monster, others called a hero, and still others described as a saint. This is the story of Lampiao, the bandit king of Brazil. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is International Infamy, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm taking you around the world to look at 15 culture-defining crimes from 15 different countries. Today, we're traveling to the backlands of Brazil, home to the 20th century's greatest outlaw. Lampiao was one part Robin Hood, one part John Dillinger, and one part holy man. The scale and brutality of his crimes are staggering, but his tale is really a love story at heart. A romance so iconic, it reads like something out of a dark fairy tale. All of that is coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome to IKEA, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your IKEA items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The man that came to be called Lampiao has many origin stories. There's his childhood at his father's ranch where he learned to herd cattle, play accordion, and survive in the harsh desert wilderness. There's the day he was branded a cangacero, Portuguese for the bandits that had plagued the region for decades. The day his father was murdered by a battalion of police, and the day he robbed the Baroness of Agua Branca. All of these are part of Lampiao's legend. But if anyone can tell you who the man actually was, it's his lover, Maria Bonita, 
and her story is just as unbelievable as his. So it's 1930, and for most of Brazil, things are happening. There's a revolution on, the economy is collapsing, and a vice presidential candidate has just been assassinated. But most of that is going on in the big cities like Rio and Sao Paulo. And if you happen to be living in the Sertão, the desert region in the northeast, all the action feels very far away. That's doubly true for Maria Nenane, nicknamed Maria Bonita, Pretty Maria. She's 20 years old and living in the small village of Santa Brigida with her husband, Jose, a local cobbler. Maria and Jose have been together for five years, and let's just say things aren't going great at home. Maria married Jose when she was just 15. She came from a poorer family. Her father owned a small ranch, but they were always scraping to get by. So it was probably always assumed that she would get married as soon as possible to secure her future. Whether there was any love between them is anyone's guess. Unfortunately, there's not a ton to do in the backlands to keep Maria's mind off her marriage woes. The main form of entertainment is these little paperback booklets called cord literature because the sellers display them on long cords. They tell highly dramatized stories about living public figures. Figures like Lampiao, the bandit king. Once upon a time, really only a decade earlier, the backlands had been crawling with various bandit groups. But by 1930, they virtually all answered to Lampiao. The bandit king's skill was legendary. He would appear out of nowhere, taking a town by storm within minutes. He and his men would raid villages, kill cattle and civilians, extort ranchers, and ransom hostages. Then, just before the police arrived, he would escape over a cliffside or vanish into the desert without a trace. Now, you might think a man who caused that kind of destruction would be universally reviled. But while plenty of people did hate Lampiao and virtually everyone feared him, there was probably no man in the backlands who commanded more respect. Depending on who you asked, the bandits were either reacting against or taking advantage of the limited government in the backlands. Settlements were so spread out that policing them was difficult. And what police presence was there really only existed to protect the wealthiest landowners. For anyone else, justice was hard to come by. Which is why a lot of people saw the bandits' actions as somewhat justified. Yes, they did terrible things, but it was the police and the land barons who made the rules. The bandits were just playing the game. And it's worth mentioning, they looked pretty cool doing it. Picture a bandit from the Wild West, mashed with the golden age of piracy. The cangaceros wore leather from head to toe, brightly colored neck kerchiefs, lots of jewelry, and bandoliers of bullets draped across their torsos. Their most recognizable feature was their leather cowboy hats, which they wore with the front brims turned straight up. These hats were so iconic, they became a fashion statement all over Brazil. One newspaper even complained that you could hardly go to the movies without having your view blocked by a big brims. There's a reason the bandits became so huge in the Brazilian zeitgeist. At the time, the country had a surging populist movement. People were fed up with the government and looking for change. The cangaceros were kind of seen as anti-establishment symbols. And Lampiao himself was on a whole nother level of celebrity. 
By 1930, he'd been the subject of a Brazilian movie, and the New York Times had done a story on him. He was renowned as the bravest, cleverest, and most dangerous man in the backlands. But the thing that really made Lampiao so popular was his reputation as an honorable bandit. People said that he was a man of his word, that he gave money to the poor, that he respected women. He could be violent and vengeful, sure, but only against the police and military. There's one story that really captures Lampiao's complicated reputation, and it happened near Maria's village at the end of 1929. Just after midday on December 22nd, Lampiao and his men converged on the sleepy railroad town of Queimadas. Within minutes, they had destroyed the telegraph tower so that no one could call for help. The bandits headed to the police station and quickly overpowered the eight soldiers inside. They released everyone in the jail, then marched the soldiers out of the station one by one and executed them with two shots to the head. The sergeant was the last one to go. He asked why his men had to be killed since they had already surrendered. Lampiao answered that he had recently lost a man in a raid, and it wouldn't be enough revenge if he killed every police officer and soldier in the state. But despite his words, Lampiao was capable of being swayed. Some of the poorer townsfolk begged him to spare the sergeant's life. So he did. The bandits spent the rest of the afternoon extorting money from the town's wealthier citizens. Then, that evening, Lampiao threw a dance for the townspeople. He ordered his bandits to treat the young ladies properly, and everyone said that they did. They left before dawn the next morning. Supposedly, Lampiao borrowed a mule from a rancher on his way out of town and returned it to its owner a few days later, just as promised. So you can imagine 20-year-old Maria really fed up with her dead fish of a husband, hearing juicy stories about these rogues living on the lamb, answering to no one but themselves. Maybe the stories inspired her, or maybe they just weren't enough of an escape anymore. But one day, she finally gets fed up and walks out on Jose. She heads to her father's ranch outside of town, and when she arrives, she sees that her parents already have guests. A bunch of men have camped out on the property. Her parents seem okay with it, though, and in fact, they have someone they want her to meet. And then she is standing right in front of him. He's 33 years old, tall and thin, with a sharp, intelligent face and circular gold-rimmed glasses. His clothes and fingers are adorned with more gold and jewelry than your standard bandit. And instead of the normal upturned leather cap, he's got a regular felt cowboy hat, which I can only assume he removes to say hello. Maria would have had no trouble recognizing the man from the wanted posters. It was the bandit king in the flesh. Coming up, Lampiao's gang gets its first female member. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. 
Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crying Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. It's 1931, and Lampiao's celebrity is growing. Bookstores are still selling paperbacks about his latest exploits in the backlands, but now there's a new character, a beautiful young woman who carries a rifle and rides at his side. As the story goes, Lampiao's gang was passing through the area and stopped off at Maria's family's ranch. The family let them stay, and Maria's mother even told the bandit king that her daughter was an admirer of his. When Maria arrived, Lampiao took one look at her and was just stricken with love. I guess you don't get the nickname Pretty Maria for nothing. So Lampiao ends up staying at Maria's family's ranch for 10 days, a week longer than he'd planned. Meanwhile, Maria heads back home, packs a bag, tells Jose she's never going to see him again, and leaves for good. I imagine that in her first few months with the gang, Maria must have felt something like Wendy taking care of the lost boys. Most of the members were young men, but they ran the gamut from preteen boys to elderly men. And they all had really fun nicknames. Cat, Bluebird, Alligator, Speed, Trouble. As you've probably guessed, Lampiao was a nickname too. It's Portuguese for lamp or lantern. People said that he got the name because he would fire a rifle so fast the flashes looked like the steady glow of a lantern in the dark. Even with Maria's esteemed position as the captain's girlfriend, adapting to her new life couldn't have been easy. The bandits spent most nights on the rough terrain of the backlands, camping in makeshift lean-tos that could be abandoned at a moment's notice. And then there was the issue of the bandits' smell. Because they were always on the move, showers were hard to come by, but all their looting did give them access to expensive perfumes. They would literally cover themselves and their horses in perfumes, which, mixed with their natural musk, created a unique scent. But for all the challenges, day-to-day life with the bandits was pretty mundane. At least at first, Maria's duties were mostly domestic. She was an experienced seamstress, so much of her time was spent, you know, repairing or sewing clothes for the rest of the gang. For the bandits, free time was spent resting, gambling, drinking, and dancing. Lampiao usually provided music with his accordion. Before Maria's arrival, the men were happy to dance with one another. But by bringing one woman into the fold, Lampiao had opened the floodgates. Soon enough, lots of men had girlfriends riding along with the gang. For the most part, it seemed like the women were a welcome addition to the group. But there was definitely potential for drama. 
If one of the bandit's girlfriends slept with another member of the crew, Lampiao executed the women himself as an example to the others that such behavior would not be tolerated. By this point, you're probably realizing the same thing that Maria realized after joining the crew. Lampiao's legend was romantic and honorable, but the real man was so much more complicated. Take his origin story. In the version Maria would have known by heart, Lampiao turned to banditry out of a noble desire to avenge the death of his father, who was murdered by the police. In reality, it would be more accurate to say that Lampiao's father was killed because his son became a bandit. The trouble began when Lampiao was 19 years old, the third son of a humble rancher. A feud broke out when his family accused their much wealthier neighbor of stealing their goat. The neighbors took it as an insult, and there were a couple minor gunfights, and Lampiao's older brother was wounded. When the police got involved, they predictably took the wealthier family's side. Lampiao's family was forced to move off their ranch. It pretty much bankrupt his father, and his mother got sick and died shortly after. Around that time, he and his brothers turned to banditry. Soon after his mother's death, they attacked and looted a nearby town. A battalion of police came looking for them at the ranch where their family was staying. When they arrived, Lampiao and his brothers were hiding out somewhere else, and their father and the owner of the ranch were the only ones home. Unfortunately, the police didn't bother to check whether the bandits were actually inside before they opened fire on the building. Now, Lampio may already have been flirting with crime, but that was the day he really became a bandit. When he learned that his father had been killed, he swore that he would take revenge on the police and fight until the day he died. It was just over a year later when Lampiao made the first major attack he would be remembered for. The target was the Baroness of Agua Branca, a wealthy 90-year-old widow. The Baroness's sons were some of the most powerful political figures in the area. Lampiao struck at daybreak with an army of 50-some bandits. They quickly skirted the handful of soldiers stationed around town, then raided and sacked the widow's home while she watched. One of Lampiao's men tore a necklace right off her throat. Lampiao's choice of target here showed a lot about his priorities. His revenge wasn't going to be limited to cops who literally gunned down his father. He held the entire system responsible. And anyone who upheld or benefited from that system was fair game, even a harmless old lady. Even if Maria was on board with killing police and soldiers, I have to wonder how she felt about Lampiao's crimes against civilians. There are countless instances of him brutally murdering ranchers who informed on him. In one case, he gouged out a man's eyes in front of his wife and six children before shooting him through the eye sockets. In another instance, he castrated the son of a man who had told the police where he was camping. Whenever he discovered that someone was a former soldier, he had them stripped, tied to a post, and beheaded. And some of Lampiao's victims were simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. During Maria's first year with the bandits, Lampiao's youngest brother was killed in a skirmish with police. In response, Lampiao had his men kill the next person they met on the road, then the next, and the next. They kept it up throughout the day until the body count reached at least 10. And the violence wasn't just against men either. 
Lampiao is often remembered for respecting women, but his bandits were definitely guilty of plenty of rapes over the years. And there were at least a few instances where Lampiao was accused of being involved himself. In one of the most horrific stories, he allegedly led 25 of his bandits in raping the wife of a police deputy while the man was forced to watch. For the record, Lampiao vehemently denied that this happened, but it's up to you to decide whether his word can be trusted. Whatever Maria thought she knew about Lampiao before meeting him, I don't think anything could have prepared her for his level of brutality. She did stand up to him in at least a few cases, though. It was said that Maria was the only person who could temper his anger. Once, Lampiao was on the verge of killing a cowboy when the man started pleading for his life, saying that he had a daughter who needed him. His words must have struck a chord with Maria because she took Lampiao aside and a few minutes later, the man was released. For the most part though, Maria seems to have embraced the life of an outlaw and all the violence that came with it. Exactly how much she and the other women participated in the raids is unclear, but she carried a rifle and knew how to use it. One time in 1935, Maria was wounded during a raid on the town of Sahinia. Lampio flew into a rage. He sent a letter to the town promising to wipe it off the map. But before he could launch another attack, the police found him. The bandits' backs were up against a cliff, like literally. The police had them outnumbered and every exit was cut off, except for the cliff behind them. The police thought it was unscalable. But Lampiao led his men right over it while carrying Maria and several other wounded members of the gang. This was just one of Lampiao's legendary escapes. The bandits had a whole arsenal of tricks to evade the police. In one instance, Lampiao had his men crawl through the fields ringing cowbells so the soldiers nearby assumed they were cattle. Eventually, he had pulled off so many escapes that people started to say he was invincible, maybe even protected by God. The religious aspect of Lampiao's legend can be difficult to reconcile with his crimes. He was a famously devout Catholic. He prayed several times a day, observed Holy Week, and went to confession. But the brand of Christianity that was practiced in the backlands was sort of folk Catholicism that incorporated a lot of mysticism and supernatural beliefs. The bandits believed that by wearing religious totems and following certain rules, they could literally seal their bodies against harm. They even bought special prayer books that amounted to magical spells. Lampiao had one that read, quote, Whosoever should want to shoot me cannot do so. If they shoot at me, water will run from the barrels of their guns. If they try to stab me, the knives will fall from their hands. The faithful had to follow certain rules to keep the spell's protection, like fasting and praying at certain times throughout the day. But the most important rule was strict abstinence from sex, which might explain why, when Lampiao did eventually run into trouble, some people pointed the blame at Maria. Two years after leaving her family's ranch, Maria gave birth to a baby girl. They named her Espagita. I can't imagine what this conversation must have been like, but Maria must have known that the life of a bandit was hardly suitable for raising children. So when Espagita was still a newborn, Maria and Lampiao said goodbye and left her in the care of a rancher that they trusted. They would stop by to see their daughter a few more times in the coming years, but their visits were always brief. 
If Lampiao's enemies found out that he had a child, she could be used against him or even punished for her father's crimes. For her own sake, the princess of the Cangaceros would have to be kept a secret. Coming up, Lampiao's sins catch up with him. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. It's 1935, and Lampiao's on a tear, blazing a trail of destruction across the state of Bahia. And the paramilitary police are in hot pursuit. By this point, the revolution's over, and the new government is determined to do what their predecessors couldn't and put this banditry problem to rest. But their plan is backfiring. The problem is, Lampiao's got a lot of friends in the backlands who are happy to provide him with food, shelter, weapons, and ammunition in exchange for a cut of his profits. Some of these suppliers are modest ranchers and cowboys. But a lot of them are wealthy land barons who are either being extorted or just want in on the take. It's a little ironic that Lampiao ends up becoming so dependent on these wealthy landowners, the same people the corrupt system is built to protect. And this is a theme that shows up a lot in discussions about banditry. Even though they're seen as anti-establishment heroes, most successful outlaws actually end up working with the powers that be in order to survive. And something similar is going on at the top of the political food chain. The new president, Getulio Vargas, rode into power on a wave of populism. But by the mid-1930s, his government is looking increasingly fascist, drawing a lot of cues from Mussolini's Italy. To shore up power, he starts courting support from the land-owning elites in the Northeast, which means the people who were already in control get stronger and the class divide gets even wider. Initially, the new government is all good for Lampiao. There's so much upheaval going on in the big cities, there's not a lot of troops or money to spare on dealing with the bandits. But President Vargas has to keep at least some promises to his populist base, like modernization and infrastructure. That means new roads and railway routes throughout the backlands. You might be tempted to write off Lampiao's longevity to luck, but he was legitimately brilliant. He read constantly and he clearly understood how his way of life depended on the unique conditions in the backlands. 
He knew that a more connected Brazil would bring more police, more soldiers, and more advanced technology like airplanes. No amount of cowbells would hide Lampiao's men if they were being watched from above. So to slow down progress, Lampiao starts launching attacks on the new highway construction crews. And soon enough, he's back in the government's crosshairs. A fresh campaign is launched to catch him, and the first target is Lampiao's benefactors. The police know that Lampiao depends on ranchers to keep him supplied, so they send in troops to try and figure out who's helping him. The problem is, they're not willing to mess with any of the most powerful landowners who are the most useful to the bandits. Instead, the police spend all their time harassing the poorer ranchers, pretty much at random. They beat and torture ranchers, destroy a lot of property and steal a lot of livestock and justify it all by saying their victims were working with the bandits. It gets to the point where one backlander says, The arrival of Lampiao at the door brings less anguish than the news of the coming of a police force. All this random violence fails to cut off Lampiao's supply train, but it does succeed in driving a lot of young men into his ranks. At one point, the bandit king has got over 200 men answering to him. But on the flip side, Lampiao's savagery also caused many more men to join the police and military. It also brought him more and more attention from the Brazilian government. By 1938, Lampiao had been operating as a bandit for almost 20 years. He had been poisoned, set on fire, and shot at least nine times. One of his eyes had been injured and removed. I mean, it seemed like the guy could survive anything. But ultimately, Lampiao's demise wasn't brought about by an enemy. It was at the hands of his own allies. Two of his suppliers finally turned against him. One was a rancher who had been friendly with the bandits for years. And the other was allegedly a corrupt police lieutenant named Joao Bezeja who is thought to have trafficked weapons to the bandits in the past. It isn't hard to see the irony in this. As much power as Lampiao thought he had in the backlands, the real power still rested with the police and the landowners. They might work with him for a quick buck, but they sure didn't work for him. And the moment Lampiao became a problem, they wouldn't hesitate to take him out. On July 27, 1938, Lampiao, Maria, and a group of 50-some bandits were camped at Enjico's ranch, one of their favorite hideouts. They had been on the run for months and had already been at the site for a few days. The men were starting to murmur that it was time to be moving on. But Lampiao wasn't eager to get back on the road. He was 41 years old and he had begun to spend more time in a camp and less time looting and raiding. Besides, he'd heard a rumor that the police thought he had already left the area. So when one of the bandits suggested they break camp, Lampiao assured him they had nothing to worry about. They would enjoy one more peaceful night in the mountains and then leave the next morning. It rained that night, so the bandits' dogs were likely curled up in one of the shelters. If they had been outside, they might have smelled Lieutenant Bezeja's troops surrounding the camp and setting up machine guns. It was silent until dawn when the cangaceros started to wake up. One of them either saw or heard something in the trees and started shouting. Just then, Lieutenant Bezeja ordered his men to open fire. 
Lampia was cut down almost instantly. The other bandits were still scrambling out of their shelters, trying to get their bearings. When they saw their fallen leader, most of them started to flee. But according to legend, it was Maria who rallied them. She took up her rifle and shouted that they had sworn to fight with Lampiao to the death. At her words, the men grabbed their weapons and turned back to make their last stand. All told, the attack lasted under 20 minutes. Maria and the bandits put up a staunch resistance, but they were outnumbered and outgunned. Maria was hit, but she was still alive when police raced into the camp celebrating their victory. They immediately started looting jewelry from the bodies. One officer cut off a bandit's hand and stuffed it into a bag so he could remove the rings later. They found Lampiao, cut off his head, and placed it in a kerosene can with alcohol for preservation. Some accounts say that Maria was still breathing when they found her. They cut off her head, too. Then they stripped her body and violated her corpse with knives and sticks. Satisfied, the police went back to town, parading Lampiao and Maria's severed heads through the streets as trophies. Later, the heads were shipped to a museum in Salvador to be studied for signs of criminal abnormality. It was a bit too late to gather any evidence, though. By the time they arrived, the heads were already pretty decomposed. The museum still put them on display as an attraction, and they remained there for decades. The Bandit King's demise marked a shockingly abrupt end to banditry in the backlands. A few of Lampiao's major lieutenants were still at large, but they would be caught and killed within a year. During that time, scores of bandits turned themselves in. Many turned on their fellow outlaws in a bid for leniency. They showed up in towns carrying the severed heads of companions they'd murdered as proof that they had changed their ways. It was a brutal and ugly end to the Cangaceros. But it was far from the end of turmoil for Brazil. Shortly before Lampia was killed, President Vargas repealed the Constitution and canceled the upcoming elections, ushering in almost a decade of dictatorship. In later years, many Brazilians would look back on the death of Lampiao as a symbolic death of freedom for the entire country. Over the years, Lampiao and Maria would be the subject of countless songs, books, comics, films, and television shows. Virtually all of these stories would celebrate Lampiao as a roguish folk hero, emphasizing his bravery and cleverness while ignoring his most savage crimes. But looking at Maria and Lampiao's lives in totality, the popular images fall pretty far short of the truth. Lampiao was responsible for some truly barbaric crimes. It's estimated that he and his men killed over a thousand people and raped over 200 women. And even if Maria did stand up to Lampiao at his worst moments, she still stuck by him to the end. If there's one person who has the right to speak on the value of Lampiao and Maria's lives, it's their daughter. Espejita had only dim memories of her birth parents. In an interview in 2000, she recalled being scared of the bandits' clothes and weapons, but also remembered how her father would hug her, pick her up, and place her on his lap. She spent years advocating that her parents' severed heads be taken off display and given proper burials, which finally happened in 1969, 31 years after their deaths. Before her request was granted, Espejita made this appeal to the Brazilian government. The death penalty does not exist in Brazil. However, my parents were killed, 
And still, after 21 years, they prohibit Lampiao's family from burying his mortal remains. As a daughter, I beg you to allow me to bury the heads of my parents for the love of God. They were also human beings. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be back with another stop on our true crime world tour. And if you want to hear more, you can find all episodes of International Infamy for free on Spotify. International Infamy was co-created by Max Cutler and Ashley Flowers and is a Spotify original from Parcast starring Ashley Flowers. It's executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of International Infamy was written by Andrew Keller with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Chelsea Wood. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out Crime Junkie and all Audio Chuck originals. Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crime Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify.